there is an exercise in special forces training. The Navy SEALs and the Marine Recon have to go through this exercise of having their hands tied behind their back and their feet tied together, and then they're pushed into a 12-foot deep swimming pool. And here's a picture of a couple guys in the, in the pool, and this, this exercise is, is a physical skill, how to know how to swim away if the bad guys have tied them up or whatever. But it's way more important than that is the training to overcome fear, stress, the survival instinct that we have. They have to overcome this being pushed into deep water with their hands tied behind their back and how to swim with no hands and no feet. So there's a video for you of how this exercise works. These guys are in 12-foot deep water and their hands and feet are tied. They have to surface, take a deep breath, but if they hold that breath, they will just sort of float, sort of sink. So you have to expel all your breath so that your body will sink to the bottom. Then they hit the bottom and they bob up to the top again and catch their next breath. And which would be easy enough for any of us to do to just bob in the water. Except that this goes on for 10 minutes or 15 and they get really tired. Then they have to do a backflip every other rotation, so which is disorienting. It also increases their core strength and gets them moving, but they have to do this backflip so that, so that it, it's exhausting them, but it's also disorienting and so on. And then every other uh, rotation, they have to grab a set of goggles with their teeth and hold that as they go up and down so that they can't breathe through their mouth when they get up to the surface. So it's a, it, there's a bunch of different strategies and reasons why they have to do this test, but I just wanted you to see how this works. So, so I'm watching a video of a Navy SEAL veteran who reenacts this in a backyard swimming pool. He ties his hands and feet together and, and he says, you know, don't try this at home. He said, I've done this many times over 15 years in the SEALs, but he said, still, it raises my anxiety level to have my hands tied behind my back, period. And then to get pushed into uh, the deep end of a swimming pool, he said, don't try this at home. But the way to pass this test, the way to succeed here is never, never fight the ropes because the ropes aren't the problem. The water is the problem. The ropes aren't doing anything bad. The water is keeping us from breathing. So the way to pass the test is stay calm. Don't give in to fear. Don't fight the ropes. Don't fight the ropes. Ignore them. And just do what you have to do to breathe. And he said, as long as you follow the trainer's instructions you will be perfectly fine. Lots of guys get pushed into the water, they panic, and in their panic, then all of a sudden, I can't do this, I'm gonna drown, and they start fighting the ropes, they suck in water, and they pass out, and the Navy SEALs trainers have to drag them out, pump their chest, CPR, that happens a lot, that guys drown, not die, but drown during this rotation, during this test, and this seasoned veteran says, it's always because of panic. It's always because they, they, they freak out and fight the ropes. So he says the way, to, the way to win this test is surrender to the ropes. Just let them be and only focus on bobbing and breathing. Don't give in to the fear, the panic that's going to come from the feeling of being tied up. Fighting the ropes is a waste of time and energy. 
just ignore the ropes and relax and bob. So there is another test that the Navy SEALs have to do. The training base is in San Diego. They take them out to the, near the border and they put them in the Tijuana mud flats. They bury them up to their neck in like 48 degree mud for five hours. They're completely encased in very claustrophobic, hypothermic situation. Only their head is showing and the officers, the trainers, are walking amongst their heads on the mud while they're crying, shivering, teeth chattering. Uh, one of the officer trainers I heard in a speech say, they get so cold and so miserable that just an hour into it, the screaming and the crying and the teeth chattering is so loud, they can't hear me when I'm talking to them and their head is right there at my feet. In misery, absolute misery. It also is a physical survival training test, but way more than that, they are interested in who has the mental and emotional stamina and self-control to remain calm and not panic in claustrophobia and hypothermia. But the guys are absolutely miserable, and so their officers are walking amongst their heads sticking out of the mud, saying, if five of you will quit, everybody can go take a hot shower. So they add to the physical misery, they are adding temptation because they want to weed out those that don't have it, that aren't tough enough to endure anything because on their missions, they will have to endure anything. So I'm told, you know, hardly anybody ever does because by this point, most of the people who are, who are going to give up already gave up. Like, like 95% of the guys who are going to quit, quit in the first couple of days because it's just, it's just torturous what they put these guys through. Uh, physically, emotionally, mentally. So they're buried in the mud. It's, it's seriously, it's like 48 degrees. And um, they go into some pretty, pretty serious hypothermic body conditions encased in mud. And then I think more than that, the problem for me would be claustrophobia. Just being trapped in mud would be, up to my neck, would be terrifying. They're not trying to torment them for no reason. It's not because they're sadistic. They want them to survive. They want them to win. So the answer is, he said, the answer is never, 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 never think about the hot shower. You, you realize, okay, this exercise is five hours long. I'm two hours into it. I got three hours. Yeah, I cannot think for three hours till a hot shower, three hours till a hot shower, three hours till a hot shower. The answer, the way to succeed is to surrender to the mud. This is where I'm at right now and wishing that this was different or better or over isn't going to help. In fact, I'm tormenting, I'm adding torment to myself, dreaming about a hot shower. Everybody with me? So the veteran's answer is if you want to survive this exercise, surrender to the mud. If you want to survive the pool, surrender to the rope. We must be fully present in what is happening right now instead of fantasizing about a better future. Wishing that our circumstances were different isn't going to change them. You're just adding torment to what already is bad about my day. Everybody already got the application in your own life. Yeah, yeah, you see where we're going with this. So I'm here this morning to suggest to you the wisdom of surrendering to the problem. I'm not talking about surrender your problem to God. I'm saying surrender to the problem. Okay. 
this is the day the Lord has for me today. These are my circumstances. This is my situation. Okay, God. I will be fully present. I will endure this without fighting the ropes. Today's situation is what it is. And wishing it away won't work. I don't mean that we're writing off God's promises about healing or restoration in your family. Uh, At some point, we all know this mud training exercise is going to be over. And I am going to get a hot shower. But dreaming about a hot shower right now is only making it worse. So begging and pleading and whining to God about why he hasn't fixed your problem yet is just adding to your emotional torment. Just live the day he gives you today and surrender to the ropes. Don't fight your troubles. Surrender to them and be fully present. We can get so distracted fighting the ropes instead of thinking, oh, the ropes really aren't the problem. The water is the problem. (laughs) We can get distracted fighting another person thinking they're the problem when they're not the problem. The problem is in my own head or heart, or I'm fighting the financial situation and I'm working so hard fighting those ropes when really the problem isn't that I I need to go out and fight hard to earn more money, I just need to quit spending so much. Or you're fighting your health symptoms so much by taking painkillers and drugs that take the symptoms away, but that isn't the cause of the disease. We do this so often that we fight the ropes. When the ropes are not, yeah, the ropes are scary, but it, you'd be fine if you quit fighting them. Yeah. And just, just bob. <laughs> just chill out. And just do what it needs, what you need to do to, to win. Dreaming of the hot shower instead of just accepting, okay, today God's got me in the mud. And it really, 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 really hurts. Scary, whatever. You know, the Navy SEALs slogan is embrace the suck. God, this really sucks. I embrace it. This is the day the Lord has made. And instead of wishing he gave you a different day, okay, God, what do I need to do in today? So Bill Johnson tells the story of his wife, Benny. He said she's a solid rock in moments of panic and stress and anxiety. And So they had a daughter-in-law who went into labor. They went to the hospital and there was troubles. And the entire family ends up there. Um, and everybody is, they're praying and their faith is in the Lord, but, but there's troubles and people are talking and fearful and, and Benny just wanders off down the hall by herself. And Bill said, this was her prayer. Okay, God, what are we doing here? Grandma is not panicking. Grandma is going off down the hall, getting quiet. Okay, God, what, what do you have to say? What do you want to do? And In that moment, she felt she got something from the Lord. She comes back and tells the daughter-in-law and the nurse, and they do it, and everything changes, and and everything's okay. Because she didn't fight the situation, she she went to God instead of fighting the ropes. When I say surrender to the problem, again, I say this every week, I try to, I don't mean give up and quit fighting. Because if the Navy SEAL with his hands tied behind his back gives up, he's going to die. He's fighting. He's working really hard. But 
from a position of being surrendered to the ropes. So I hope that's really clear to you. I keep hammering this point. I, when I say surrender, I don't mean give up and I don't mean quit. And I don't mean don't possess the promises of God and faith and all that, but, but fight from a position of calm, from surrender. I am fighting for what God says he's going to do in our marriage or in this health problem or in our finances or whatever. I'm not fighting the problem. I'm fighting to grab a hold of Jesus. Because the ropes aren't the problem. I just need to focus on getting my breath. Don't waste your emotional energy and your time trying to change things you can't change. Surrender to that. And then fight to find God. Remain calm and in control. Like Joseph. Joseph in the book of Genesis gets tied up and kidnapped by his brothers. Held hostage in a pit in the ground, then they sell him as a slave. He ends up getting purchased as a slave in Egypt. A guy named Potiphar buys him. He's so, such a good-looking 18-year-old that Potiphar's wife lusts after him and tries to get him to sleep with her. He runs away, so she lies and falsely accuses him of attempted rape, and he gets put in prison. There's a train wreck of disasters in Joseph's life. He ends up in prison. And what does he not do? He doesn't go into despair he doesn't blame God and get mad, but he doesn't either, neither does he waste his time wishing that his destiny was different. He's, this is my life. I'm in prison. And what does the Bible say he does? He is so responsible and helpful to the warden of the prison that the warden puts him in charge of the whole jail. Yeah. What's that? That's surrendering to the mud. Like, I'm in prison. And there is nothing I can do about that. And I'm not going to waste any time fighting my circumstances. I'm just going to serve God in the circumstances. While my hands are tied, I'm going to find God and serve him. He becomes, he's so responsible that warden gives him the keys and says, here, you be in charge of the jail. And not only do I trust you to take care of the other prisoners, I know you won't walk off. That's surrender to the ropes when he could take them off and he doesn't. So if you don't know the story, he's, he's there in prison for, the Bible doesn't actually say a number of years, but, but it's like 10 years or more that he's in jail, falsely accused of attempted rape, total lies. Everything that's happened to him is completely unjust. He wastes no time or emotional energy wishing for his circumstances to be different. He just serves, the, he serves his own jailer. So in the middle of that, there's two other guys that Pharaoh has put in prison. They have dreams, and he interprets their dreams. And, and because he surrendered to the problem and was just faithful inside of the problem, overnight he gets promoted to vice Pharaoh, becomes the second richest man in the world, used by God to literally save the world. So... In no way, again, in no way when I say surrender to the problem, in no way do I expect that your problem will be permanent. It may be very long term. And some of you need to get a hold of that because part of your problem is you wish that God had answered your prayer yesterday and you keep whining and begging. But Otto Koning says we'll, we'll get a lot further with surrender than with whining and begging, calling it prayer. It may be very long term. 
but in no way does surrender mean resignation to, well, I guess this is just God's will in my life. I'm always going to have to live with this health problem, or I'm always going to have to live poor, or we're always going to have to live with an unhappy marriage. No. But for today, stop fighting the ropes. And just ascertain Jesus. Surrender to the problem. I told you about Leah, who gets forcefully married by her dad to a man who doesn't love her. And he's not necessarily um, treating her terrible. He just doesn't love her. And she, she keeps giving him sons. And every time a son is born, she's like, now Jacob will love me. Now Jacob will love me. And on the fourth son, she names him Judah, which means praise. And she says, this time I will praise the Lord. What's that? I surrender to the problem. I give up this fantasy of a happy marriage. And I'm just going to praise the Lord in my circumstances where I'm at. And guess what? I told you the rest of the story. Their marriage changed. We weren't told a whole lot about it, but at the end of his life, Jacob wants to be married with Leah instead of Rachel. Again, surrender is not resignation to the permanence of the problem, but don't waste your time fighting the ropes. You need to put your energy into swimming. Wishing reality was different than it is is a total waste of time. Even when you call that prayer. I don't know how to tell you how we hang on to the promises of God with tenacious faith and God's going to do this. Yes, all that too. But that isn't wishful thinking. That's, that's being absolutely assured of what I haven't yet seen. But none of that should cause anxiety and stress and whining. Surrender doesn't cancel faith. Faith does not negate surrender. Somehow we've got to hang on to both of them at the same time. There is even more than just surrender to the problem. God doubles down on us. <laughs> and let's look at the book of Acts. Paul and Silas come into this particular city where the gospel has never been preached before. They're the first missionaries ever there, and the people go crazy and try to kill them. The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten. After they had been severely flogged, keep that in mind, severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. Upon receiving such orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and all at once all the prison doors flew open, and everybody's chains came loose. This is not a natural earthquake. This is a supernatural earthquake. A natural earthquake might open the prison doors, but they don't make handcuffs fall off. Okay? Everybody's chains came loose, and the jailer woke up. And when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself. The, so, the Roman soldier that would have been put in charge of the prison is mortally responsible for the prisoners. If anybody escapes, he gets executed, so he's going to fall on his sword. Because he thought the prisoners had escaped, Paul shouted, Don't harm yourself, we're all here. And the jailer called for lights, rushed in, and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. And he then brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? 
And they replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. And then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and all the others in the house. And at that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. And then immediately he and all his family were baptized. And the jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. And he was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole family. All right, let's look at what happens here. So Paul and Silas have been flogged by, at the order of a judge. That means a cat of nine tails whip, which means that they have very little skin left on their back. Right? This is the kind of pain they're in. Then they're put, they're put in prison and their feet are in stocks, which means the wooden bars or possibly iron bars. And their hands are shackled. And about midnight they are singing. Now that's like zero to a hundred in two seconds here. They are way past not fighting the ropes. They're not, they're not fighting the stocks and the handcuffs. But they've doubled down. They are singing while not fighting the handcuffs. I've never been flogged, but I think if I had been, I might have some feelings about that. And it wouldn't be, I want to sing. It would be, God, I gave you my life and I trusted you on this mission trip and this is how you treat me and now I'm in prison in a third world country and uh, what's going to happen to me? Ah! Fight the ropes, pull on the handcuffs, get me out of here. Panic. And I drown. Paul and Silas not only didn't do that because they surrendered their lives before they walked into town, They don't have to surrender them when they get to jail. They don't have to go through all that emotional garbage because they did it before. Like Jesus died in the garden. That's where he surrendered his life. Right? Yeah. Paul and Silas died before they got into town. Our life's yours, Jesus, whatever you want to do with it. But then they double down, passed, surrendered to the problem. Now we're rejoicing in the problem. The, The surrender to the problem is actually just human, common sense, solution to all your problems. But it's not supernatural. But this is supernatural. To actually sing praises to God while you're tied up underwater, while you're neck deep in hell's mud, while your feet are in stocks in prison and you're losing blood out your skinless back. That's not humanly possible. But all things are possible with God. That's supernatural. Is to rejoice in the problem. And watch what happens. Paul and Silas have been flogged, handcuffed, foot-stalked, sitting there with untreated wounds. It's been an exhausting day. (laughs) And they don't go to sleep. They're not pouting. They're not crying. They aren't whining to God in prayer, get us out of this. They aren't sitting in silent panic. I got too many songs to sing to go to sleep. And I am convinced they have been doing this for some long time, and I'll prove it to you as I go through the story. I believe this wasn't five minutes of singing Amazing Grace. Um. This has been going on for some time because when the earthquake happens, I'm not the first preacher to point out, all the prisoners in the whole jail 
their handcuffs fall off, the prison doors open, the guard's going to kill himself, and Paul says, stop, wait, we're all here. I'm not the first preacher to point this out, that everybody else who could have run for freedom, sprint out the door, didn't go anywhere, because why in the world would I want to leave these two guys? Whatever freedom there is, is less attractive than the Holy Spirit that is in Paul and Silas. So we're staying here. We're not going anywhere. We're going to stay with these guys. And then when Paul says, we're all here, the first sentence out of the jailer's mouth, he runs and he falls on his knees in front of his own prisoner, which is just mind-blowing if you think about it. He's a Roman soldier, officer, and these guys are vermin in, in their eyes. And he bows in front of them and says, what do I need to do to be saved? How did he know that question? How did he know? It says this is the first time he believed in God. How did he know about God, Jesus, sin, salvation, the cross? Because Paul and Silas had been singing it for hours. He'd heard the whole thing. He heard the whole gospel. He knew what to ask. In the, in the moment, Paul and Silas didn't just sing a couple songs and then, well, now we've done our religious duty and now we can go back to going to sleep and whining about our problems. And No, this is hours of joy, singing, supernatural victory. And look what happens. When they surrender to the problem and then they rejoice in the problem, God solves the problem. In his own way, in his own time, they get their wounds treated. The handcuffs fall off. God answers their problem. And, listen close, the guy that has them in the ropes comes to them and gets saved. Come on. When you rejoice in your problem, the person causing your problems will get saved because of the beauty of your response. You're not going to save them by fighting them, fighting their sin, blaming them. Hello? You're not going to bring them to Jesus. But whether they admit it or not, they're listening. Whether they admit it or not, whether there's any sign at all, they're watching. And in a supernatural moment when God moves... If you have done your part, which is not just surrender to the problem, but rejoice in the problem, and just keep your mouth shut about the blame and the fighting, and then the person who has tied you up in the ropes you had to surrender to will come and untie them and be saved himself or herself. James 1-2, consider it great joy, my brothers, when you face trials of many kinds. It's one of those verses we all love to skip over, you know. Consider it pure joy. I don't know that I would consider it pure joy if I'd been flogged and put in prison. But that's not a suggestion. It's a command. So we don't receive that as, that's impossible. I don't know how to do that. Correct. But with God, all things are possible. So Jesus, I cannot do this except by you. But by you, I don't need to just endure. I can rejoice. I can throw a party. I can sing and dance. 
when I face trials of many kinds. Luke 6, Jesus said, Blessed are you when men hate you, when they exclude you and insult you and reject your name as evil because of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy because great is your reward in heaven. Those are all relational problems. Jesus says when you have relational problems, leap for joy. I call it my hippopotamus dance because I'm sure that I look like a hippo trying to do ballet when I dance. I come in here when no one else is here, or I go out in the backyard in the middle of the night when no one's watching. If you want to go to your front lawn in the middle of the day, you go right ahead. <laughs> Show the world your joy in your troubles. Um, but if you want to shut all your curtains and move your living room furniture and just spin and dance, I, this is not a suggestion. This is Jesus commanding it. But he is not commanding it to add to our to-do list or our you-better-obey-me list, he's giving you the key to the jail cell. You know, Mitch, pulling on those handcuffs, you're never, ever going to get out of them. But if you will just quit fighting them and just start singing, I might unlock them for you. 1 Peter 1.6 in this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. For a little while, which is this life, <laughs> it's really short. For a little while, if necessary. I'm not saying that God needed your loved ones to die or that he is doing your health problems or your financial troubles or your marriage troubles on purpose. That's an unanswerable theological question that just turns into one of those debates, Paul tells Timothy they're fruitless arguments and don't get into them. But here's what we can know, is that because of the blood of Jesus, all of our problems are redeemable, and there is nothing that is not valuable. Let's put it that way. That because of Jesus, nothing is random, nothing is worthless, nothing is pointless. Every half a tear has eternal value. Every single moment of agony or tears or struggle or blood and sweat or whatever it is, is valuable if necessary. But you've been grieved by various trials. In this you rejoice. Notice it doesn't say after this you will rejoice. Not after this. In this, you rejoice. So it's not when I feel like dancing, and yes, I literally mean dancing, guys. Amen. It, it's singing, it's prayer, it's being excited, and, but Jesus said, leap for joy. It's not when I feel like dancing, it is specifically when my heart is broken. Now is the time to rejoice. When I am in sickness or physical pain, now is the time to sing. When I am scared of the news I just got, it's time to rejoice. Right now. Otto Koning says we get so much more done surrender and rejoicing than by begging and whining to God in prayer. I think you will find that if you not only surrender to the ropes 
and surrender to the mud, but actually rejoice in the mud, give up your fantasy about a hot shower, you can know in your head, yes, this is temporary, God will answer my prayer, he knows what I want. You can know all that in your head, but, but dwelling on it repeatedly of, God, why are you answering my prayer? Why this problem, this problem, it just makes the problem bigger, and it's focusing on the handcuffs instead of on Jesus. And when we surrender it to the Lord, he, he might give you a key. He just really might. I want to finish or close with, this is the daily devotional, Dreams in the Desert. It is the second most popular English language devotional in world history. My utmost for his highest by Oswald Chambers is the first. I read it every day. This is uh, September 10th devotional for that day. Uh, the scripture is Psalm 138.8, the Lord will perfect that which concerns me. There is a divine mystery in suffering one that has a strange and supernatural power which has never been completely understood by human reason. No one has ever developed a deep level of spirituality or holiness without passing through great suffering. When a person who suffers reaches a point where he can be calm and carefree, inwardly smiling at his own suffering. There it is, don't fight the ropes. Inwardly smiling at his own suffering, no longer asking God to be delivered from it. I quit the self-pity. And I quit the begging, no longer asking God to be delivered from it. Then the suffering has accomplished its blessed ministry. Perseverance has finished its work, and the crucifixion begins to weave itself into a crown. It is in this state of complete suffering that the Holy Spirit makes many miraculous things deep within our soul. In this condition, our entire being lies perfectly still under the hand of God. Every power and ability of the mind and will and heart are at last submissive. Quietness of eternity settles into the entire soul. And finally, the mouth becomes quiet. Finally, the mouth becomes quiet. Having only a few words to say, it stops asking God questions. It stops crying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? At this point, the person stops imagining castles in the sky, pursuing foolish ideas. His reasoning becomes calm and relaxed. It has no choice in anything but the purpose of God. The emotions are weaned away from other people and things so that nothing can hurt, offend, hinder, or get in the way. He can now let the circumstances be what they may and continue to seek only God and His will with the calm assurance that God is causing everything in the universe, whether good or bad, past or present, to work together for the good of those who love Him. Oh, the blessedness of being absolutely conquered. Oh, the blessedness of being absolutely conquered. Oh, the blessedness of being absolutely conquered, to lose our own strength, wisdom, plans, and desires, and to be where every atom of our being becomes like a peaceful sea of Galilee under the omnipotent feet of Jesus. Jesus, we invite you to conquer us this morning. Because your commands cannot be obeyed in human strength. It is impossible for us to have pure joy in trials. We don't have the strength to sing from prison. Lord, it would be enough 
for us just to remain calm and surrender to the ropes and, and do our best to swim. But you require joy. But we see, Jesus, that it's not just you requiring it, that you're, you've handed us the key to unlock the handcuffs, to open the prison door. You've given us the key out of the mud. Which is to sing while we're in the mud. To greatly, truly, actually, for real, rejoice. Thank you for your Holy Spirit that is in us, that your love is shed abroad in our heart, Lord, that you are the spirit of peace and joy. And so with God, nothing is impossible. That even in the midst of our grieving, there is a song in our heart. Even in the midst of really scary problems, we can have peace that makes no sense. And we can just be quiet without complaining, without whining, without self-pity, just rest in the mud. Just stop fighting the ropes and sing. This is the day the Lord has made and I will rejoice and be glad in it. I will rejoice. I will myself to rejoice. Jesus, we can't drum up the emotions. We can't make ourselves feel happy. But we can look you in the eye. And the king of joy makes us smile because you deserve it. You deserve to be praised. You deserve to be worshipped. You are that good and we have 10,000 reasons to sing. And whatever may come and whatever lies before me, let me be singing when the evening comes because I have 10,000 reasons to be happy. Lord, forgive us for focusing on the problems instead of all the good things you're doing, instead of all your faithful ways and all the answers to the prayer you have given us and the faithful testimony of the past. Thank you for your patience, Lord. Through all of our whining, thank you for your patience fighting the wrong things, fantasizing about our circumstances changing. You just remain faithful and you're there and you wait. You can literally move the earth to deliver us. We have no reason to fear. We have no reason to complain. And Otto is right. We can, there's so much more power in surrender and rejoicing. So we surrender to whatever constraints you have on us right now, Lord. Whatever your will for us in our daily circumstances, we surrender to that. And we rejoice in you, knowing that you will perform your promises. You are faithful, and your word is always true, and you will heal and deliver and save and redeem and You will even save those who are our jailers. Make your praise glorious in us, Lord. Lord, I thank you for the many here who are like Joseph, who have lived through and are living through intensely painful situations, but being faithful servants in the midst of it. 
who like Leah have are living in unhappy family circumstances but have decided to just praise the Lord. Lord, I bless each individual here with the peace that passes understanding, supernatural joy, your joy that is our strength. Form Jesus in us, Lord. Form Jesus in us. Amen.